So I want everybody to smile. Get a smile on your face. That does two things. It makes you feel better, didn't it? It makes me feel better, too. So did you hear about the two blondes walked into a building? Looks like, looks, looks like one of them would have seen it. Did you hear about the two blondes that walked into the building? Looks like one of them would have seen it. Come on. Golly, they're not very encouraging this morning, Drew. It is, I can tell. So I feel like the title of my sermon already, When You're at a Dead End. So have you ever come to a dead end in your life? Might be a dead end relationship. Might be a dead end job. Might be a dead end financially. Or just a dead end life in general. You feel trapped. You feel stuck. Fear, hopelessness, hopelessness and frustration set in. Moses was stuck for 40 years. I can't even imagine that. I mean, go back, those of you who are old enough, go back 40 years in your life. What were you doing 40 years ago? Golly. <laughs> no, not, no, I don't want to go there, no. So Moses was stuck for 40 years. Israel was stuck for 430 years. It was now time God heard their cry for help. He saw their misery, he was concerned, and so he sent Moses to begin to help. But beyond that, beyond what Moses could do, he sent all these plagues. Have you, have you noticed the grasshoppers this year? Golly, I'm always afraid I'm going to get one in my mouth. Those are the most putrid things that I can even imagine. There was a plague of... You know, blood in the Nile, gnats, frogs, locusts. And the final plague was the plague of the firstborn, which is what we're going to talk about this morning. So if you brought your Bible, I'd like to ask you to turn to Exodus chapter 12. Why does nobody ever grab for a Bible anymore, I wonder? <laughs> it's on the screen most of the time. <laughs> Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse... Three, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family and one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be a year old males without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. 
Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt. In other words, you're, you're ready to go. And your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On the same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you even when I strike Egypt. So when you get in a tight spot, when you're uptight, when you feel like you're at a dead end, then give it a rest. Three things where we can give it a rest. Number one, rest in his protection. I love this story because uh, he gives them careful instructions, which we just read. And imagine, you know, taking blood, you kill a lamb, you take the blood, you put it on the side of the doors, put it on the top of the door. And the Lord says, when the destroyer goes through the land, I will pass over you. Now, many of you heard me say before, it, is, it doesn't just mean I'll skip your house. It means I will pass over you in the sense that I will protect you from the plague of the firstborn. This, of course, points toward Jesus, the Lamb of God, who shed his blood for us providing substitutionary death. Notice 1 Peter 1, beginning of verse 18. For you know that it, it, is, it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life. Notice that the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish and defect. So notice the similarities in language there between Exodus and the New Testament. I want you to think first of all about the fact that God has saved us from something and he has also saved us to something. He saved us from destruction. He saved us toward, uh, away from an empty way of life, toward a fulfilling life, a departure toward something. He didn't just save us from something. So I thought a little bit about this in terms of my own life. You know, Carmen mentioned a minute ago, you don't want to go back, you know, 30 years or 40 years and think about what you were doing then. Uh, the empty way of life that you were living without Christ. Most of us have regrets. Most of us have sorrows. Most of us have some guilt at times about things that we did, about per people that we hurt and so forth. But I, I thought about this in terms of my fulfillment as a person Certainly nothing wrong with the grocery business. It was a commendable work that I had for 13 years, but to me it was a dead-end way of life. I didn't want to remain there the rest of my life. <clears throat> I joined the Oregon State Police, went to college for five years, did all kinds of things to get out of that empty way of life. Notice in the blanks there on your outline, Jesus saved us from... An empty way of life, and Jesus saved us for a fulfilling life.
I feel so fortunate in that I can't imagine having a more fulfilling life than I've had, including being here. Love it. I've had the privilege of uh, cooperating with the Lord and leading 21,000 people to Christ. Got to travel all over the world, speaking to pastors, seeing lands that I would have never imagined that I'd ever be able to see, have a wonderful family. I've had a very fulfilling life, and it's only because of Jesus. Man, I know where I was headed. I know what I was doing, and I knew what the end result of that would be. I love this verse in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. We've been saved from destruction, saved from an empty way of life, and the new has come bring his fulfillment so when you're at a dead end secondly give it a rest rest in his presence now this is a an interesting one because many people will say well I don't feel the Lord's presence well when you say it in that particular way you're talking in terms of emotions I don't always feel the Lord's presence either but it's not based on what we feel, it's based on what we know. We know that he is ever-present with us. It was pretty clear for Israel, by day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night <clears throat> left in its place in front of the people. Wouldn't that be nice? Just this cloud out there. I want you to go this way. Or at night, there's a pillar of fire. Go this way. The direction was so, so clear. I run into people all the time who say, I don't know what to do. And I want to suggest to you, it's not a matter of not knowing what to do. It's a matter of your doing it. Most of the time, we know what to do. It's a matter of us making a decision to do the right thing. Jesus said that he wouldn't leave us alone. He wouldn't leave us without help. He wouldn't leave us as orphans. He says, I'm going to give you a counselor. He will encourage you. He will comfort you. He will help you make good decisions. He'll lead you in the right way. One of the greatest things on this uh, is a book that Andy Stanley wrote. I don't remember the name of the book, but it has to do with what is the, it might be titled What is the Wise Thing to Do? I don't remember. But yeah, always ask yourself these three questions. Number one, if you're making a decision, ask yourself, what would be the wise thing to do in light of my past? In other words, you've done some dumb things. Don't do those again. <laughs> You've done some wonderful things. You've done some good things. Well, yeah, do that some more. So in light, in light of what I've learned, I've learned a lot of things the hard way. But I don't want to learn those lessons twice. I learned the hard way not to treat people in the church like I treated people when I was managing a grocery store. It doesn't work. I got my hiney kicked. You know what your hiney is. Not down here, it's up here. 
I got pushed around quite a bit because I got lots of reactions because I didn't learn from the past. Secondly, what is the wise thing to do in terms of what I want, what I desire for the future? So if I'm making a decision now and I know I, that's what I want to end up like, that's where I want to end up, then you make decisions that will get you there. You don't make decisions that will hinder that or get in the way or take you the opposite direction. You make decisions that will help you move in the right direction. And thirdly, what is the wise thing to do in terms of my present circumstances? Most people, if they asked those three questions, would have saved the greatest tragedies that they've faced in their lives. You think about the biggest mistakes that you ever made. If you'd ask yourself those three questions, you wouldn't have made that mistake. At least if you made a decision based on that. Wherever you are, He is. The Lord Himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Deuteronomy 31.8 Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be open. In other words, you usually know the right thing to do. It's just a matter of doing that. When people come to me and talk to me about some huge pickle they're in, just ask them, did, did you know what to do that would have prevented that from happening? Yeah, I did, but I just didn't do it. Right? So ask the Father, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Now, when it comes to, to the Lord speaking to you, I've, in, in my experience at least, it doesn't usually come with, Turn right, <laughs> turn left, stop. You know, it's not, it's not clear. It's kind of like Ginger, Ginger used, it takes her a lot longer to use up her words than it does me. I've got about 250 words a day and she's got about 2,500 a day. But, you know, I can communicate with Ginger without saying a word. Sometimes I'm just, I'll just look at her and smile. She knows what that means in the context of what's going on. Sometimes I'll just give her a nod. You know what I mean? Husbands and wives, you know that. You don't have, you don't have to always say things. Sometimes you... She ever give you that look? You, you know what that means. I was thinking this week, I was telling Chris, I was thinking of hymns this week. There's an old hymn called No, Never Alone. I can't sing it, so I, it's hard for me to say the words without singing it. No, never alone, no, never alone. Oh my gosh, I can't do it without singing. And I'm, I'm going to spare you that. But the point is, he's always with us. Always with us. You can't shake him. You can't get away from him. My mom used to guilt me about once a week with, Jesus is watching. Now I think that's a good thing. Then I didn't think it was a good thing because I wasn't doing the right thing. 
Most of you have heard me talk about Psalm 139. I love this psalm because it talks about when you got up this morning. Now think about when you when you when your feet touched the floor this morning. You got that picture in your mind? He was there. When you lay down tonight to go to sleep, he'll be there. So the first thing I do in the morning when I get up and my feet touch the floor, I talk to the Lord a little bit. Not a long prayer, but I say, Lord, help me today. Help me follow you today. Go to bed at night and kneel down beside the bed and talk to him a little bit. He's there. Remember when you walked in the room this morning? Get that picture in your mind. You walked in the room this morning. You got that? He was there. In a few minutes when you leave, he'll be there. He knows what you're thinking right now. I'm glad there's not a TV monitor on your forehead. But he knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're going to say before you say it. In other words, he's ever present, always present, wherever you are, he is. Psalm 139, 7 to 10 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your hand will hold me fast. Fill in the blank. Wherever you are, he is. Then number three, I want to encourage you to rest in his promises. How many of you have memorized some promises in the scripture? Hope you have. Yeah. I won't ask you to quote them, but you know what they are. Uh, the Lord led the children of Israel out of Egypt, and they were trapped. This is amazing to me. On one side there were mountains, on the other side there were mountains, in front of them was the Red Sea, and behind them was the Egyptian army. They were trapped. There's only one way out, and that's ahead, but there's the problem, this Red Sea is in the way. I didn't think about that until this week, but can you, there's two million people. Can you imagine how long it took them to cross the Red Sea? Can you imagine how wide, it says it was in a night, how wide they would have had to be in order to cross the Red Sea? As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out in the desert to die? They were in slavery he set them free and now they're belly aching. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring today. The Egyptians, the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Imagine that scene. Everybody belly aching. Well, we were better off in Egypt. We had, a lot. We had plenty to eat. They forgot about all the misery and the fact that they'd 
worked so hard and were required to work harder. They complained, they bellyached two million of them. Can you imagine that? And Moses basically says, stand and watch. The Lord's going to deliver you. I've, I've often w wished I had a staff. <laughs> you know, not, not just a staff to open the Red Sea, but whack. <laughs> what is wrong with you? I've had, I had this woman one time tell me that God told her to commit adultery. And I wanted a whacker. <laughs> we complain so easily but they went through the Red Sea and the army drowned behind them then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land the waters were divided then the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and their left. The Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. And during the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and, with it, with it, and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots fall off so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. Can you imagine two million people shouting? Man, that must have been a celebration that day when they realized that the Lord had set them free. If you haven't memorized promises, I encourage you to. If you have, I encourage you to remember them. I told you on previous occasions, so I won't go into detail, but... Ginger and I were in a lot of trouble financially. Uh, the church wasn't able to pay us. And uh, we, were, we were just ready to throw up our arms and quit. And God gave us a passage of scripture out of Isaiah chapter 54. And I can't tell you how many times I went back to Isaiah chapter 54. It said, Lord, you said, you said, and we believe you talked about one of the verses for Moses is now, God said to Moses now go I'll help you speak and I'll teach you what to say I bet at least 50 times before I've gotten up to speak at a convention or a conference a conference or a foreign nation I'd get up to speak and I'd say that verse now go I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say David Facing Goliath is one of, the, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. We'll, we'll be talking about that in a few weeks. But I love David because he's facing this huge giant. Has all the weapons, all the army, arm, all, the, all the armor. And David has a slingshot. But David didn't look at the giant. He looked behind the giant and realized that his God was bigger than that giant. 
What a picture for us when we're facing adversity is, that's a big thing I'm facing, but you know, God's bigger than that. God can deal with that. God can handle that. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. I don't want to just encourage you, first of all, to rest in God's protection. Is there anyone here this morning who feels unsafe? You feel vulnerable. You feel like something bad may happen to you. Rest in his protection. Praise the name of Jesus. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. In him will I trust. I love that song. How about his presence? Maybe there's some of you that God, God isn't with me. I, I, I just don't. Don't feel like he's with me anymore. Well, he is. It's just a matter of you believing that. 